Hello and welcome on to another episode of the ISO Ball Podcast with your host, Derek Terrio, your place to learn about the NBA on and off the court. We've had a long 2018-2019 season, but the NBA Finals are finally set. We've got the Toronto Raptors in their first ever NBA Finals in franchise history appearance going up against the Golden State Warriors. Uh, should be an, an incredibly exciting matchup, but we're not here to do that one today. That will be a podcast coming in the near future today. We are going to review uh, some news that I need to catch up on that was released a couple days ago, and that's uh, the all-NBA teams and the all-defensive teams. Uh, We're going to talk about some of the contract implications of some of the players who made all-NBA and get into a little bit of the cap and some preliminary stuff that mostly we get into in the offseason, but we'll just give you a little primer about what that means for some cap situations. Uh, We'll talk about a little bit about some changes I might have had to the all-NBA teams and all-defensive teams. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the voter discrepancies, we'll call it. Uh, Some votes I don't necessarily agree with. And finally, we'll take a little review of the Bucks... uh, the Bucks Raptor series and some of the stuff that I got wrong and some of the stuff that I got right as I feel like it's a it's a good exercise to hold myself accountable to my series previews and then do reviews of what I got wrong and what I got correct. So let's start off like I said, all NBA teams. So the all NBA teams were announced and they are as follows. First team all NBA features Steph Curry, James Harden, Paul George, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Nikola Jokic. Second team Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Joel Embiid. And third team is Russell Westbrook, Kemba Walker, LeBron James, Blake Griffin, and Rudy Gobert. As a whole, I don't really have too many gripes about the all-NBA teams. I actually think they got them pretty good. But having said that, there were some what I call WTF votes. Yeah, WTF is a good way to describe it. Here, Here's some of the other votes that uh, Howard Beck included in his tweet of some other players that got votes. Marvin Bagley received one vote for All-NBA third team. Andre Drummond received one vote for All-NBA second team. Dwayne Wade received one vote for All-NBA second team. And Eric Gordon of the Rockets received one vote for All-NBA third team. These these votes to me are just completely ludicrous and and no gripe against all those guys. I think Andre Drummond is a very solid center. I believe Marvin Bagley one day will be a multi-time All-Star. Dwayne Wade is an obvious legend, and we're gonna miss him uh, as this year was his final year. And Eric Gordon is in, uh, is a very crucial part of the Rockets, and th- that needs to be stated before I say how ludicrous these are because these are terrible votes. Like, I cannot wait to see the names of these people who voted for these players because it's simply ridiculous. It's simply ridiculous. And you're taking away votes from players who actually deserve it. And it just gets as simple as that. And when there's tens of millions of dollars on the line, as we'll get to what that means in a second, these votes are critical. And these points that you're giving away and giving it to other very obviously undeserving players in the case of these four, uh, to me just is completely uncalled for. And that's going to put a stain on what I think of some of these media folks in the future. So I thought I just would throw this out now. And we have a couple of those same issues with the all defensive teams, which we'll get to in a second as well. So the only thing I really have to change 
in these All-NBA teams is instead of Kemba Walker, I actually would have replaced him with Bradley Beal. Uh, Kemba Walker did have an incredible year. I don't want to take anything away from Kemba in his year. He had an incredible start to the season. He was playing at a first-team All-NBA guard level uh, for the first 10 or so games of the season. I do remember that. But Bradley Beal, after John Wall went down, was just unbelievable. And let's let's go through both Beal and Kemba's numbers for the season. So I got Brad Beal here. 25.6 points per game for Bradley Beal. Five rebounds a game, five and a half assists a game. He did that on 47.5 field goal percentage, 47 and a half uh, shooting percentage, and 1.5 steals as well. Getting into the advanced stats, he had a 58 true shooting percentage and did that on 27% usage. And unfortunately, that didn't lead to too many wins for Bradley Beal, which uh, only had 32 uh, for Washington this season. As for Kemba Walker, Kemba Walker averaged the exact same number of points as Bradley Beal, 25.6 points per game. He had 4.4 rebounds per game, 5.9, so basically 6 assists a game for Kemba Walker. He did that on 43.4 field goal percentage and 1.2 steals per game. And in the advanced metrics, he had a 55.8, so basically 56% true shooting, and he did that on 30% usage, leading Charlotte to 39 wins. So basically... They basically have the exact same numbers, per se. I mean, the differences in rebounds and assists are there for Beal and Kemba, respectively. But Bradley Beal did it on a much more efficient stat line. Uh, I believe Bradley Beal is a better defender than better defender than Kemba Walker. Again, the true shooting percentage, the 3% gap in that. And although Kemba had a 3% higher usage than Bradley Beal, I think the reason I lean towards Bradley Beal over Kemba Walker is because this wasn't this Washington Wizards team wasn't a Bradley Beal team to start the year, and yet it became one by the end of the year. You can only picture how difficult that is to be able to prepare for your role for the whole year one way, and then have your you know best player in John Wall go down. Uh, unfortunately, Achilles injury for John Wall, and then have to take over that team and still be able to put up these efficient uh, all-star numbers that Bradley Beal did. And again, so the argument that people are going to make are, well, oh, they didn't even get close to making the playoffs. Uh, 32 wins for Washington, you know, with seven wins behind Charlotte, and then Charlotte didn't even make the playoffs. Well, I don't understand why we're penalizing Bradley Beal for not having incredible teammates. Like, who's the second option? Who's the second option on Washington? And I, I guess you can make the same argument for Charlotte. Like, who's the second option on Charlotte? There, you can't say it off the top. You know, maybe Jeremy Lamb for uh, for Charlotte. And I don't know, maybe you can argue it was Tomas Sadoransky for the Wizards. Like, it, their teams were just that bad. And they were still able to put some wins on the board, carry their team to some victories. And I don't want to punish Bradley Beal for that. So basically the reason I'm picking Beal over Kemba is because Beal was a little bit of a better defender and he had the same numbers on much better efficiency. And to me that that makes uh, that makes Bradley Beal a better candidate for All-NBA over Kemba in my opinion. Now some real gripes have been going around about what about Clay Thompson? So you saw the viral clip that Anthony Slater put out about, you know, Clay. Maybe some of that uh, reaction was the fact that he lost uh, a bunch of money by not making an all-NBA team, which we'll get to in a second. But, you know, it, people tend to forget 
Clay Thompson started out very slow to the year, and he he made a sacrifice. And we and we talk about sacrifice a lot with the Golden State Warriors team because a lot of those guys have sacrifice. But the problem is, is that you can't sacrifice, you know, a lot of shots, your role on the team, uh, and things of that nature, and then now be complaining about not getting all NBA when you knew that that was part of the sacrifice. Like the the fact is, is the bill has come due. And Clay Thompson even said of it, said it himself. He said, "I'd rather win a championship than thir- be thirteen All NBA." And he's right. He's right. There's nothing there. There's nothing incorrect about what he said. But to me, I just don't think that he was he he was All NBA there in my in my opinion. I mean, I I don't think he was far off, or it's ludicrous to have him on the team. I don't think that at all. But I just would put him a little bit behind Brad Beal and probably in sa- in the same realm as Kemba. Um, I think Clay was a very, very good defender this year. He made all NBA second team or all defensive second team, which we'll get to in a second. But um, I just don't know that he was enough there offensively to warrant a third team all NBA, uh, a third team, third team all NBA nine. Now you can make the argument: Hey, if KD wasn't there, Clay Thompson would no doubt be all NBA. Yeah, and that's true. And I don't doubt that for a second, but that's a hypothetical, and we're playing in the reality. And unfortunately, that's just not a reality. So I do, while I do respect Clay Thompson's defense, he's put on uh, usually one of the best uh, offensive players on every single night. Uh, but offensively, these main engines, uh, specifically speaking about Bradley Beal here, of an offense, even ones that lead their team to below average seasons in the case of the Wizards, to me, shouldn't be overlooked because of their lack of surrounding talent. And obviously Clay is surrounded with nothing but, you know, superstar players. And Beal was really good all year scoring the ball and did so efficiently. And I think basically Clay had kind of his stretches. And I, I vote for a little bit more for a guy that, you know, did it despite the circumstances instead of a guy that did it, you know, with everything kind of set up for him to succeed. So that's basically where I end up. You can disagree with me. I I, I don't blame you if you do. This is just kind of my opinion, the way I look at it. But no matter, that's that's kind of my explanation for why I don't believe Clay was all NBA this year. Just to run through Clay Thompson's numbers real quick: twenty-one point five points per game in the regular season, two point four assists, three point eight rebounds. Uh, he did that on forty-six point seven percent from the field, one point one steals per game, uh, and in the advanced stats, he shot. true shooting on 25% usage. So again, just a little lower usage, a little lower usage than Bradley Beal, a little lower true shooting than Bradley Beal as well. So ultimately, again, went with Bradley Beal over the other two options. So now let's, let's get into a little bit more about what kind of this means from a contractual standpoint. So we've heard a lot now that because Kemba Walker made the 13 mall NBA, he is eligible for the Supermax contract. And I don't want to get into all the cap nerd type of things, but just to give you a brief overview, overview. So the Supermax contract is awarded to a player who has done one of the following. He has made either an all NBA team in the most recent season or the two of the last three seasons. He has one defensive player in the year in the most recent season or two of the last three seasons, or 
they have won MVP in the most recent season or two of the last three seasons. So if you hit any one of those three criteria, what it allows you to do is allows you to jump from making either 25% of the cap in a traditional max contract. So it'll allow you to jump from 25 to 30 or 30 to 35. And so the idea being that your, your max contract at 25% of the cap is awarded to players with zero to six years of experience. So if you have zero between zero and six years of experience in the NBA and you're you are offered a max contract, your max contract can only pay you 25% of the salary cap. If you are between seven and nine year experience in the NBA, your contract your max contract is eligible for 30% of the cap. And finally, if you have 10 plus years experience in the NBA, your max contract is 35% of the cap. So in Kemba Walker's case, because Kemba Walker has, I think, eight years of experience in the NBA, his traditional max contract, should he not have made all NBA, would be worth 30% of the cap. And that's, I think, five years, 190, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Don't quote me on those numbers, but something like that. But now, because Kemba Walker has made All-NBA and has eight years experience, his eight-year experience traditionally would earn him 30% of the cap, but because of his All-NBA kicker, he now earns 35% of the salary cap, which essentially makes him uh, super max eligible, uh, i.e. the designated uh veteran player extension i think is exactly what it's called so that's just kind of the idea of how the supermax works again we'll get a lot more into some of the salary cap stuff in the offseason this is a lot of this stuff i'm still learning as well too so it'll give me a good chance this offseason to kind of get more well versed with the salary cap some of its nuances and be able to kind of communicate it a little bit better to you guys as well so looks like kemba's in for a big payday is what i'm getting at uh, no matter which team he decides to go to uh, I just want to get into the rest of my awards here. Uh, I was going to save this for a podcast or a closer to the award ceremony on June 24th, but I figured I'd just get them out now. Maybe I'll you know, do a little bit of a deeper dive uh, closer to the date, but here are my awards for the rest of them. My MVP, after doing some research, is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Again, I'm not going to go into you know, the deep dive into why I picked one over the other. I know there was a close race between Giannis and Harden, but uh, ultimately I went with Giannis. My defensive player of the year is Rudy Gobert. My coach of the year is Mike Budenholzer. My rookie of the year is Luka Doncic. My sixth man of the year is Lou Williams. And my most improved player is Pascal Siakam. So now let's dive into the all-defensive teams that were released, I think, about a week ago now. First team all-defense includes Eric Bledsoe, Marcus Smart, Paul George, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Rudy Gobert. And the second team, Drew Holiday, Clay Thompson, Joel Embiid, Draymond Green, and Kawhi Leonard. Not too many gripes uh, about this list. I think they actually got it pretty right. That last one, though, I know it sounds ridiculous. Uh, I watched the Raptors all year. I actually don't think Kawhi was... That sounds ridiculous. I understand how crazy that sounds given his multiple Defensive Player of the Year awards in the past. I think he won multiple Defensive Player of the Years, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe maybe one or two, but Defensive Player of the Year nonetheless. 
but this year he just wasn't as impactful to me. Again, we understand he only played 60 games as well. So there was a couple guys I thought that were a little bit more impactful. Uh, one of them being Pascal Siakam, so a player on his own team I thought deserved uh, a spot over Kawhi. And I thought P.J. Tucker actually deserved a spot over Kawhi as well. Between Pascal and P.J. Tucker, I probably, went, probably would go with Pascal Siakam because Siakam contributed to a better overall defense uh, on the Raptors. But P.J. Tucker very close to me there. So I probably would have picked those two guys over Kawhi Leonard. But obviously defensive reputation tends to factor in a little, quite a bit, I would say, with these media votes. So no, the, no outrageousness that Kawhi was on the second team. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it's like a crazy a crazy outlier or anything. Again, his reputation speaks for itself. And especially in the playoffs, we see you know him guarding Giannis was you know, quite the spectacle. So he still has uh, all defensive capabilities. All, all defensive and defensive player of the year capabilities but this year just on a year-by-year -year basis I just don't think he wasn't as impactful this year and I think the choice of either PJ Tucker or Pascal Siakam was probably more appropriate so not too many gripes but that was probably the only thing I would like to mention the WTF votes <laughs> for all defensive team are as follows James Harden got two votes for all NBA or sorry, for uh, first uh, all-defensive first team. James Harden, I, I repeat, James Harden got two votes for all-defensive first team. Ridiculous. Equally as ridiculous. Maybe more so. Russell Westbrook, two votes for all-defensive first team. Both of those guys, Harden and Westbrook, received two votes each for all-defensive first team. Other guys who received votes that were ridiculous. Kyrie Irving received a vote for all-defensive second team. Damian Lillard received a vote for all-defensive second team. Steph Curry received a vote for all-defensive first team. And lastly, Jordan Bell received a vote received a vote for all-defensive second team. I don't need to repeat how ridiculous some of these media votes are. We're going to see who voted for who. That will be released eventually. And those people, in my eyes, will lose credibility very quickly. I don't want to go on a tangent and, you know, kind of throw all these media writers under the bus but the fact of the matter is is that that to me is pretty ridiculous pretty ridiculous especially Harden and Westbrook receiving first team all defensive votes like I mean that I'm I, nothing to be said let's let's move on let's move on so the last part of this podcast is going to be holding myself accountable to that Raptors Bucks series uh, if you didn't hear my conference finals preview you can go back and have a look or have a listen i should say to that podcast uh you can find that obviously in apple podcasts or you can search my twitter feed uh to find that as well uh at isoballpod uh, i'm not going to do a review of the warriors blazers one because it was a 4-0 sweep uh, i predicted warriors in five warriors one in four um they completely dominated that series and anything i uh, i said was mostly correct but I think that there's more to be learned in this series than there is in the Warriors versus the Blazers series. So that's why I want to go over this one. So I'm going to go places I was wrong, places I was right, and go back and forth in between those. So first off, the first thing I was wrong about, let's start with the bad. The first thing I was wrong about is obviously the series prediction. I picked the Milwaukee Bucks to win in seven games and the, Ra the Toronto Raptors won in six games. So no analysis there. I got the series. I got the series wrong. That was my first. That was my first incorrect thing about uh, my previous podcast. What I got right 
is that the Raptors, I said that the Raptors have yet to tap into their full offensive potential, and that proved to be true in my opinion. Uh, So up to the point of the Eastern Conference Finals, it was really just the Kawhi show, and he was carrying the Raptors. He He basically carried them through the whole series against Orlando, and he carried them through seven games against Philadelphia. But in this series, the Raptors bench really stepped up around Kawhi Leonard and supporting cast stepped up around Kawhi Leonard. Norman Powell really got to go in this series. He really started making a lot of three-pointers. Serge Ibaka proved to be very effective in this series as well in a number of facets. And FEV, uh, FEV being Fred Van Vliet shooting really, really came around uh, as well. And he proved to be an effective player on the floor uh, not only as uh, not only as a shooter, but especially as you know, little box outs in Game Six and things of that nature. He really started to prove his value more so on the floor. And Kyle Lowry also had a huge uh, Game One, although they lost. I'm pretty sure Kyle had 30 in Game One, and that along with some of the other playoff performances in Game Six. Uh, and I think there was one more big game that Kyle had in the series as well. Proved uh, that the Lowry in the playoffs narrative is you know mostly a myth. Uh, he has had some bad games, don't get me wrong. Kyle definitely, you know, has had some very, very bad games, but he's also had some very solid games. And we've, we've talked about this. Most media members know this. Most true basketball fans and true Raptor fans know this. But most of Kyle Lowry's value doesn't really show up in the box score. So if you're looking at the box score trying to find what Kyle Lowry did for the night, you're probably not going to find his true impact. And that's been true most of these playoffs as well. And Marcus Gasol was also huge in this series uh, against the Bucks. He had a massive Game 5. Uh, I believe he had like a 17-11 and 11 with 7 assists, 5 blocks, something like that. Just a huge, huge game, pivotal Game 5 game for him as well. So the supporting cast along with the bench really stepped up for the Raptors in this Bucks series, thus making my prediction true that the Raptors have had yet to have tapped into their full offensive potential before the series started in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, one thing that I got wrong in this series, well, more than one thing I got wrong, but one, another thing that I got wrong in this series was I said that Giannis is the best player in the series. Uh, no, that is not true. Uh, that would be Kawhi Leonard. Uh, Kawhi Leonard completely outplayed Giannis Antetokounmpo in this series on both ends of the floor. And when Nick Nurse went to the adjustment in, uh, I believe it was game three, to put Kawhi on Giannis and make him the primary defender on Giannis along along with some double teaming and some uh, nice defensive strategy but mainly putting Kawhi on Giannis was the thing that really kept Giannis in in check and really held him down in this series and on the other end Kawhi continued to put up 30 points a game in this series along with big time plays especially in game six where he had something uh, something like 17 rebounds, a career high for him. And in Game 5 this series before, he had 35, point, 35 points and 9 assists. So you see that no matter what Kawhi needs on any given night, he's really starting to take that role of, I'm, I'm going to give you everything that I need to win on that specific night. And whether it's the career high 9 assists in Game 5 or the career high 17 rebounds in Game 6, Kawhi Leonard proving he is incredibly impactful outside of just scoring the basketball uh, and outside of just being an incredible defender as well. So very clear to me that Kawhi outplayed Giannis in this series uh, by a wide margin and thus making my original assessment of Giannis being the best player in the series incorrect. I was definitely wrong about that. Something I was right about, uh, shutting. I said shutting down Giannis and the transition game was the key to a Raptors victory. That, to me, proved to be true. 
it was clear in this Raptor series that the Bucks had a very, very difficult time scoring against uh, the Raptors in the half court. When the Bucks got out in transition, started running the ball, they proved that they could get some easy buckets, set their defense, and things you know went a lot better for them. But once the Raptors started building that wall that I talked about in the Eastern Conference preview, and you know having the initial defender, whether that be you know Kyle, Danny Green, Kawhi, make contact with Giannis at the top of the key so that he couldn't get to the rim, then that forced Giannis to make that pass out to the wing or back to the point guard and force Milwaukee to really, you know, set up their offense in the half court. And this is where Toronto really excelled because they're moving on a string, they're long, they're active, uh, they're communicating, and they're closing out. They're very disciplined. And that really allowed Toronto's defense to really prove their own potential uh, in this series. And part of the reason uh, why most people are giving them a chance to get the goal against the Golden State Warriors is because Toronto's defense has shown that it is no joke. This is one of the best uh, de- defenses in the entire NBA and one of the best defenses Golden State has probably gone against in a long time. So basically, the fact that the Raptors forced the Bucks to play in the half court was something that proved very vital to their success in winning this series and uh, thus making my prediction that shutting down Giannis in transition and generally uh, the Bucks' transition attack in general would be the key to the Raptors winning this series. Something that I was wrong about uh, was Brooke Lopez wouldn't be a force on the offensive glass. Yeah, that was completely wrong. I don't know what I was thinking there. I guess I thought that the theory was that Brooke Lopez would kind of be hanging out by the three-point line and just kind of jacking up three-pointers as he had been doing all year. But Brooke Lopez in the paint was a real problem for Toronto. Game one especially, uh, and really as the series went on, they really had to account for Brooke Lopez uh, collecting offensive rebounds in the paint. So that was a major problem. Nothing really more to say there, but I was wrong. Brooke Lopez was a force on the offensive glass, and I predicted that he wouldn't be. And so the final thing about this series, it was kind of a, I kind of got it right, kind of got it wrong sort of prediction. And you'll see what I mean by this. So what I did get right, as I said, if the Raptors bench outscores the Milwaukee bench, Milwaukee is in serious trouble. But in the same breath, I also said that Milwaukee had the better bench in Toronto, or the better bench than Toronto. So it was true that the Raptors bench outscored Milwaukee and that put them in a serious amount of trouble. But at the same breath, it seems like Toronto's bench outplayed Milwaukee's bench in this series. Uh, I think I think that's very fair to say. I mean, what's, you start with Fred Van Vliet hitting 14 of 17 threes. 14 out of 17 for 82% uh, in the span of games 4, 5, and 6. That was a massive, massive uh, boost for the Raptors. And the Bucks really failed to get anything good out of their second unit. I mean, when you saw the adjustment, but uh, Boonholzer went to put Miritich to the bench and start Malcolm Brogdon. Eventually, Miritich was phased completely out of the series. And then outside of maybe a couple, uh, a couple of good games, you know, George Hill was really held pretty useless. Uh, George Hill was, you know, he was okay. I don't want to say he was useless. He was actually fairly solid throughout the series. But Pat Connaughton was held, you know, fairly useless. Ilyasova was meh. He got he got attacked a lot defensively, which you know proved to be a bit of a problem. And you know some of the other again, Miritich, you know, was sent to the bench. Didn't really have much of an impact. 
And outside of that, the bench kind of really, really shrunk for the Bucks, you know, quite quickly. So the the bench clearly didn't give them enough. Eric Bledsoe was also a major problem in this series. He really couldn't hit a shot. He didn't really, he didn't come off the bench, but he really couldn't hit a shot for them. And you know, Malcolm Brogdon was kind of on and off. He had uh, a big game in Game Three in that overtime game, but otherwise didn't really make a massive impact in this series. And um, you know, Norm Powell, Fred Van Vliet, and Serge Ibaka, those three bench guys for the Raptors, really stepped up in their own uh, distinct and unique ways and just outplayed the Bucks bench in total. So, well, the la- oh yeah, and the last thing is that I said that if the Raptors bench outscores the Bucks bench, Milwaukee would be in trouble. Uh, every game except game three that the Raptors bench outscored the Bucks bench, the Bucks lost. So three out of the four Raptor wins uh, were in part uh, fueled by the fact that the Raptors outscored the Bucks in their in the bench, and that, like I predicted, would be huge. But the thing I didn't predict is that Toronto's bench would be the better bench uh, as opposed to Milwaukee's bench. So that's that. So, yeah, so thanks for listening to another episode here of the ISO Ball Podcast. Again, be sure to follow all the all the social media content we got going on. Uh, we've got content on Facebook. Got uh, I was actually at Game 6. I posted a photo there of me being at Game 6. What an atmosphere that was to uh, witness the presentation of the Eastern Conference Trophy to be outside um, after the game in Jurassic Park. I was in the building for the game watching. But uh, to see the pandemonium in the streets was just absolute, an absolute, quite an incredible experience. And if you if you had any doubts about Toronto as a fan base and you know how passionate that city and this country is about basketball, I mean, it, I you should you should really go and take a look at some of the footage from uh, the post game after the Toronto had won that game. And you know, national TV will really start to see in the finals how passionate these fans are. Uh, I was checking some of the Raptor tickets trying to go to either Game 1, Game 2, Game 4, or Game 7, or, or, or sorry, Game 5 or Game 7, uh, should it go to Game 5 or Game 7, and every single ticket is sold out, and on the resale site, you're looking at about $1,300 for some upper bowl tickets, so the hype is clearly there uh, in Toronto, and it's going to be an incredible atmosphere for them, uh, but going back to the social media, uh, find some of the stuff uh, by searching Isoball Pod, Isoball Podcast, or my name, Derek Terrio. Uh, you can find it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Podbean, which is our, my RSS feed, and Apple Podcasts. And as for the finals, I will be doing a podcast after each game for the finals. So no matter how many games this series goes, I will be doing a review podcast for each game. And also I will be posting threads on Twitter after the game of just kind of some things that I saw. So I'll, I'll post, you know, some some things that I thought were interesting, some things that I think would match up with some of the podcast content, and just kind of, you know, just trying to be fluid with our my NBA Finals content. We know game by game this, the magnitude of, uh, of each game is massive, so I want to be sure to make sure we cover uh, as much of that as possible. So again, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Look for the content, and if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate five stars. It, it's a huge way to you know kind of grow the following that I've been trying to do for this podcast. And the way the Apple al- algorithm works, from my understanding, is that the more 
uh, upvotes and the more five-star reviews you can get, uh, the better recognized you will be in the feed when searching for basketball and basketball podcasts. And obviously, we want to try and grow this community to be as big as possible. So any help that you can do uh, on that front in terms of rating and five stars would be incredibly helpful. So keep your eyes peeled. Look for some more content coming in the near future. And most of all, enjoy what should be a very enjoyable NBA Finals. We'll talk soon. Thanks.